Hello and welcome to Holsh Fidelity episode 13. Tonight with my mate Chippy, we will be rolling through our top fives for Queens of the Stone Age. Now, Queens of the Stone Age are the undisputed champions of badassery in the rock realm. Founded in 1996 by the legendary Josh Homme, the band has been a relentless force, fusing together a concoction of rock, stoner vibes, alternative edge and a touch of desert heat. Their early works, like the self-titled debut and rated R, are like sonic grenades exploding with heavy riffs, Homie's distinctive vocals, and an attitude that's as cool as the Mojave Desert. Then came Songs for the Deaf in 2002, an absolute masterpiece that cranked up the volume on hits like No One Knows and Go With The Flow, solidifying their status as rock gods. But these guys don't just rest on their laurels. They've continued to shape shift through albums like Lullabies to Paralyze, Era, Vulgaris, and Like Clockwork. Each release is a journey through the wild, untamed landscapes of blues, punk, and pop, all while maintaining that bone-crushing, fist-pumping essence of hard rock. Now, welcome tonight, mate. It's so good to have you back, Chippy. How you doing, big guy? Hey, Tone. Stoked to be back. Today, I took the assignment very seriously, and I have been drinking quite heavily <laughs> all Sunday afternoon, yeah, trying to get into that rock and roll, Queens of the Stone Age mindset. Mate. So I'm, uh, I'm liquored up and ready to go. That is so good. Yes, you, you've become pretty famous for your Sunday sesh takes on, on, a, on a different drink each week, so I had no doubt that we'd be rolling into this with a couple under your belt. Yeah, don't mind a sneaky Sunday cocktail. Do get around a few. But yeah, talking about one of my favourite bands, which were birthed from another one of my all-time favourite bands in Caius. I'm going to be talking year off tonight about these guys. I'm really looking forward. And I'm wondering if we're going to have any crossover on the top fives because, you know, you and I famously do not share ours pre-episode. I know. And I know. surely... I don't know. I th- I feel like tonight is the night we're going to have a bit of crossover, but we'll, I guess we'll wait and see. So, so how did these guys land on your lap, mate? Was it was it because you already had that connection with Caius, or was it something yeah. else? No, it was purely because of Caius. Obviously, my fascination with Quatsa predates the the formation of Quatsa. I'm just going to say Quatsa quite a few times, if you don't mind, because no, that's it just fine. abbreviates the the Queens thing. Yeah, I was and still am a huge Caius fan. And for those who aren't familiar with Kai, they're like obviously like stoner rock, hard rock band from California, and they used to just blow my mind. I think I discovered them when I was about 14, again through seeing them on Rage one night. At the time of discovering them, I think they were onto their third album, which was called Welcome to Sky Valley. And then I went back and, and bought their prior releases. Along with Weezer and Sonic Youth, and Pixies and Slayer, that's a, I mean, that's a pretty, pretty weird mix of bands there. But they were like the five bands that really shaped my my teenage taste when it came to when it comes to rock music. And then you know, Josh Homme was the lead guitarist for Caius. And when they disbanded, from what I can tell, he kind of kicked around was like a, a, a guest musician for a lot of bands from about '95 through to '97 ish. The bones of of Quatsa were being kind of formed in '96, '97. I think he toured with the Screaming Trees around 96 and 97 oh, yeah. as well, which is where he had that connection with Mark Lanigan, who would then further like join the band going into Rated R, and then obviously in, they had a massive presence on Songs for the Deaf. Instantly, upon hearing when Quatsa came out, you could just tell that this was a, a progression from the stoner, stoner rock vibes of, of Quatsa, but different from Kais in that Kais were this 
kind of lean, mean machine that were heavy and they kind of shunned any type of mainstream type of attention. But you could hear from that debut album, Aquatza, that there were melodies and there were earworms, right? So mm. stuff that were hooks and melodies that you could hear deep in those heavy riffs that were almost poppy. Mm. And by poppy, I don't mean like stuff you're going to hear in an elevator, but stuff that would gain attention and become popular. I knew as soon as I heard the, the, the beginning of Queens of the Stone Age that this band was just going to be massive and they, they went on to be so. When you say, like, well, Mark Lanigan for starters is, I just love that man. I love his solo work and Screaming oh. Trees stuff and, you know, such a unique voice and I'll talk to you about him a bit later on. But this band has yep. shuffled around their band members quite a lot over the years, haven't they? Like even at some point yep. Dave Grohl was part of the band. and Yeah, that- so the only one, one consistent, the one ongoing member is Josh Homme. There's been a few famous dismissals from the band, if, if you will. <laughs> Um, Nick Oliver, who was the bass player for quite some time from the early outset to, I believe, album three, which is Songs for the Deaf. I think he may have been gone by Lullabies to Paralyze. He obviously, he, he came from a punk rock background too. So Nick was quite, let's just say, a little bordering on a psychopath. We'll just say that. Mm-hmm. He would often cut himself and play nude on stage. I think he got written up for a few public exposure violations and, and drunkenness violations. <laughs> Had to show cause a few times over the years. So there's been a volatile mix of individuals in this group from beginning to end. But there's been some big names roll through as well. They were a real super group there from like the 2000 to 2005. Because Homie was really close mates with Nick Oliveri too, wasn't it? I know it's being talked about a lot with that, that split and, you know, his volatile nature and all the rest of it. But I'm not sure, was it a few years later that that he did come back and play live again with the band, I think I read? because Yeah, there was a re- reconciliation there later, later on. I, I believe it all kind of fell to bits around the mid-2000s and I, I do believe probably around the time of like clockwork there was a, a – a reconciliation, and I think they're back on good terms mm. because uh, he was such an integral part. Oh, I was of, about to say that that band. Mm. Um, and, Some of those bass know, lines I, I, are killer. Always, oh, for sure, and they just those bass lines are, are the foundation of some of their biggest hits. You know, and up until recently. I was referring to, to Queens of the Stone Age as possibly the last great rock and roll band that we're going to see because rock and roll with an edge had kind of died off a bit. There's a lot of indie rock and a lot of micro genres jumping up, but there was nothing out there that really had the presence of that Queens of the Stone Age would come with. I'm kind of backtracking that now because thankfully there's been a bit of a resurgence in, in the last few years. And I mentioned to you before off air, before we started recording, bands like Idols and then there's there's a band called Viagra Boys, Fontaine's DC. I think a lot of these bands that are kind of bubbling up now and becoming relatively big can be similar to Queens of the Stone Age in their respect of playing intimate shows but also being able to headline festivals. But they still don't really have the aura of the early 2000s Queens of the Stone Age. Yeah. I'm not sure if we'll ever see it again, to be honest. But, yeah, when no, you, they, when, were, they were formidable. When you said, uh, you know, having rock bands research to become headliners it's it's funny you mention that because i saw queens of the stone age at indigo in cal well not in california but in america for coachella and funnily enough we were walking over to watch 
Queens of the Stone Age, and a dust storm, and it was mantle, came through, and they just played through the middle of it. So we were, like, hiding behind some massive speakers in the background, <laughs> even though the, the dust was just, like, hurling through the air. All you could hear was Queens of the Stone Age pumping it out, and they would just bang on. It was incredible. And and when you think about, you know, their desert vibes, etc., it just felt like it was meant to be that we just had, you know, we should should have had something like Ray from uh, Star Wars wearing something like her kit while we were listening to yeah. them, but they were unbelievable, mate. And what uh, an experience, though. That just marries up perfectly, like you said, with those desert vibes and you have a dust storm come through. That's just, <laughs> yeah, that's just uh, perfect. That's just so synchronized yeah. for the experience. I've, I've seen them twice, but not for a long time. I, I, I first saw them in the, at the 2003 Big Day Out, I think it was, and I was right up the front for their set. They weren't the headliners that year, I believe it was like Foo Fighters and a few other bands were billed ahead of them. But they were the band I, I felt that day that had the most buzz. They might not have been playing and closing that night and they played like a late afternoon, early evening set, but they were the band that everyone was talking about. Mm. You could hear people all day going, oh, got to check out Queens of the Stone Age. Got to check out. So they were amazing and I got right up the front and I'm, I'm thankful to still be here living because man there was a massive crush on during that set um, wow. that was crazy and then I saw them a year later just on their own tour I think it was 04 or 05 I believe it was 04 but it's been a long time since I've, I've seen them and unfortunately they are playing in Australia in the next few weeks and I'm unable to attend which is really driving me insane <laughs> <laughs> oh mate I'd love to be there too sometimes it's just not possible is it the reason they are touring in the next couple of weeks is because they have released another album just last year in 2023 how would you describe their evolution over the time because obviously they started you know that bass heavy that those stoner vibes and all the rest of it but over time like is there a way you could sort of word to explain how their sounds have evolved i i think they still have elements of what they began with i do think their more recent stuff is a little bit cleaner and when I say that, the last two albums, which I think was, is it Villains and Times New Roman, I think, or something it's called. I, I've forgotten now off the top yeah, of my head the, that the sounds latest right. album. I don't dislike it, and they haven't become a parody of themselves, but nothing really sticks in the last couple of albums for me. There, there's no real, there's no, like I said before, no real earworms for me to almost double down and revert back to their earlier stuff and maybe go show away from the stadium rock and go back to where they began and become a little bit grimier, which is what I, the direction I was hoping they'd go. And look, there are a couple of songs I've heard from the new album that kind of hint at that, but I wouldn't say they've really deviated too far away from their original scope. Yeah. They always had pop in them, Hulse. Although, and I'm probably going to get into this, I'm probably um, giving away the game a little bit, their 2013 album, Like Clockwork, is probably... And this is hot take territory, right? So I'm being a little bit crazy already. Probably if the booze in me. I would probably have it as a top two album for them with Songs for the Deaf. That's probably my two favourite Queens of the Stone Age albums. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Whereas mine, I, w- I would say Rated R. It would be my favourite, followed by Like Clockwork. So. Oh, you've got it in the top. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, look, Light like Clockwork was actually the album that, brought me a lot closer to Queens of the Stone Age. And I think it did revolve around that Coachella tour because I knew I was going to Coachella and they were headlining. I played that album because that was the album leading into it. I played it over and over. When I made my shortlist of, I think it was around 18 to 20 songs, the the most songs in my shortlist came from like Clockwork. You know, very 
front to end solid album, I think. There you go. Well, that's I wasn't expecting that. I knew you listened to it a lot because you, you mentioned that to me recently. But it's an album too, like Clockwork, that I probably slept on a little bit when it, and I didn't get around to it straight away because I just assumed that they might have lost it a little bit by then, and they hadn't. That was a real mm. comeback album. I didn't dislike Era Vulgaris, but it was I was like, nah, not completely sold on it. It was like a seven out of ten. If I'm going <laughs> to give it a rating, <laughs> yeah, like Clockwork really brought the goods again. Well, I think that we might start rolling in to our fives. And as usual, we'll start with any honourable mentions you might have. I'll just give one that, just on the back of what we discussed then, one off the new album called Carnivore. Voya? Carnivore. Now, it, it didn't make my, you know, in my top 10, but I think out of that latest album, Times New Roman, I think it's called, that's the one I think that could grow into. A keeper for me. It does remind me a lot more of the earlier stuff. That's, yes. that's one I'll just that's give one a of the quick shout. That did for me. Yeah, I agree with that, mate. Oh, I was thinking the same thing. That is a track, that and one other, which escapes me and the name escapes me, but that really did remind me of earlier material. So that gives me hope. I hope they still continue that direction with newer stuff. Yeah. But, mate, you're the, the one that's going to really shed some light on these guys. So, so what honourable mentions do you have? I've got three which were all brutal, brutal cuts. It's like choosing your favourite child. I would go, and this changed up to late this afternoon. Wow. The first honourable mention, I'm going to have to give it to Regular John. This, I believe, I'm pretty sure, this was the first song I heard from them, and I heard it on an old surfing video. So whoever compiled the music for that VHS really had their finger on the pulse back in the day. would have heard that in i believe 90 late 97 98 
I believe that track and another track came out as early singles before the album, but I might be wrong. The song just, it, it's a, yeah, the instant the song kicks off, it's unmistakably a Queens of the Stone Age track. They already had that deep desert fried riffs and stuff down pat. Obviously, Josh brought that along from Kaius, but Josh is like crooning in, in like a, it's almost like a falsetto um, over the verses. It's a really pulsating, epic rock song. So yeah, Regular John. The second one is from Light Clockwork. This was the last cut to my five. This was in my five up until about two hours ago. When you had another uh, you had the, fifth whiskey? Yeah, fifth, sixth, seventh, whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> the track is called The Vampire of Time and Memory. Ah, uh, yes. This was the last cut to my top five. Probably going to regret not including it, actually, because it's a bit of a, a different track for them. It's quite slow, melodic. It's almost rock opera-ish. It's got a real grand sound to it. Yeah, like I said, with Like Clockwork, it was an album. I don't want to say it was a return to form. They didn't really drop off at all, but it was such a large gap between this album and something that was huge, like Songs for the Deaf. And it was even six years between Era Vulgaris. So I was worried if they still had the juice, but this album, you know, put that to rest. They were still killing it. So, yeah, uh, that was my second honourable mention was The Vampire of Time and Memory from Like Clockwork. And my third and last honourable mention is a normie pick. Feel Good Hit of the Summer, it's just such a fun song to experience live. And, you know, lyrically, it was it basically described my shopping list before each music festival. <laughs>
one interesting fact with that one was that Queens of the Stone Age were asked to play a gig for a drug rehabilitation centre. All the in, or I wouldn't call them inmates, but the people that are, were staying there, they opened with this song, and <laughs> and all of all all of the nurses and staff etc. like shut down the speakers and kicked them out, so they didn't even finish one song. Well, you co- asked them to, to play at a rehab. Like- <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Surely the wrong band. You're just asking for trouble. That's like asking NWA to, to, to open for like a, a police punishment. Like, come on. What the, what the hell were they thinking? Okay. Nah, three, oh, three great, great selections, mate. We'll roll in, start with my five so that we finish with yourself. Number five. My number five comes from the 2005 LP Lullabies to Paralyze. And the song is called Tangled Up in Played or Plaid. How do you say that? Uh, I think it gets said either way, but it might be played. Played? Or, I don't know. <laughs> say it both ways and edit out the wrong one. Yeah, well, I've, I mean, I've, I've read it a million times while I've done this research and that's the first time I've spoken it out loud. But anyway, Tangled yeah. Up in Played. We'll just say played. This song, I, I think, is one of the songs that some of Josh's best vocals. He's, he's got it. What you mentioned earlier, he's got a he, – and he uses a lot in these songs, his falsettos. And yeah. I think it's the, it's right at its peak here when he, he sings the verse over this fucking awesome guitar riff. Like it's really almost like intimidating guitar riff. And, and then when the chorus hits, it, it becomes gigantic. This whole song, it's got this darkness and this hopeless tone to it. But at the same time, it's catchy, which once again, I think, you know, there's something that you've reflected on a couple of times there. And the first two songs in my top five are are quite dark and not so much melancholy, but just sinister, I guess, more so. But, But this song was actually written, so about Nick Oliveri and... Well, this is this is what I, from my research, this is what I've been. I think is correct. So, they just broken up with Nick Oliveri. Yeah. His exit from the band was based on, you know, these personal reasons, and and Josh was really 
cut that he he had to kick him out but you know he basically had to go and sort his shit out in an interview josh josh says that at, at the time of like recording and writing this album he was in a really dark place especially like the falling out with nick was was part and parcel of that and and i think the mood of this song really reflects it the lyrics i could keep you all for myself i know you got to be free so free yourself it kind of makes sense to me when I get got that context. It's like, look, I'd love to have you back on board, but shit's going the wrong way. Go sort yourself out yeah. because you are still a mate. It's just pretty sad because, you know, he was that, that such definitely, a mate. Definitely refers to Nick for sure. It has to. That is a really inspired choice too, by the way. That is a, a song that, whilst it's a great song, it's still a left-field choice, but it makes a lot of sense. I, I, I love that pick, Polsh. Well Thanks, done. mate. Some other interesting things with it was the title, you know, Tangled Up and Played. Apparently in an interview, Josh and Troy from the band at the time were asked what colour Quatza would be, and they both answered exactly the same time straight away, played. So... Yeah. You know, apparently they, they wore a lot of plaid suits, etc. And, and, you know, it was their thing, plaid. So when you say tangled up in plaid, like to me, like maybe that does sort of mean tangled up within the band potentially. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. because I was like, I don't know how this title reflects in with Nick Oliveri, but obviously he's he's doing some shit that's not going down well with the band and it's made this decision to move him on. And the last thing, which I think you'd be very interested in, is there's a Run the Jewels mashup of this track on YouTube and it's an absolute belter. Just Bullshit. Yeah, I, I think it's their that. song. I, I didn't note it here, but I think it's their song Legend. Legend. Okay. And yep. so it's mixed great. with the music of Tangled Up and Played. And then I think later in the piece, Homie plays, uh, sings part of it. But the first sort of two thirds of it is, is the two lads from Run the Jewels just kicking butt. That is a great choice, man. Well done. Well done. I feel kind of self-conscious now. I've gone a bit of a normie number five, I feel. Okay. So number five for me is First It Giveth from Songs for the Deaf uh, from 2002. Yes. So this would be one of my most enjoyable record-buying experiences. I remember my first listen through of the album vividly. I purchased it on release day. Back then I was working at Sanity Music, and I grabbed it the instant it came in. I think we were meant to be playing some other bullshit uh, in store, and I was like, nah, fuck that, we're putting on Queens of the Stone Age. So played it through about four or five times in a row in store, full, didn't care that there was explicit lyrics. I, ris- I just risked it all. You know, I didn't care if they sacked me, so I went for it. I could just see it was an instant classic. The, the minute you listen to it, it just has this real presence about that album Mm -hmm. they managed to somehow as both mentioned earlier just straddle that line between rock and roll integrity or image with with still a deep understanding of writing a pop song and this in essence is a pop song but just a a pop song in that stoner style and for a band that's had so much change to their roster over the years this remains their ultimate lineup right so this album they were like the avengers of rock music (laughs) so you had josh homie dave grohl mark lanagan nick oliveri i mean come on man like 
you know, that's just mm. incredible. This is the track that really stood out for me the first few listens. So initially, it was my favourite track on the album and probably still remains that way. on this go from like a whisper in some parts to a like a really soaring level in a space of just a line and it's just really catchy like all the best pop songs are and i have no doubt josh homie would probably punch me in the mouth for saying something like that as well <laughs> claiming that there are i mean he's punched a lot of cameramen and paparazzi and stuff through the years so why would i be any different calling his songs pop songs but yeah first it giveth is my number five no great pick yeah homie is a volatile man isn't he so. I think he's mellowed with age. Like a lot of the recent interviews I've seen of him on YouTube over the last few years, he seems like he had that real rock star. And this is why I fucking love them, right? So I'm not criticizing it. A bit of that real rock star arrogance, which again is something like I was saying before with these new crop of, of rock bands that are coming through. They sound the goods, but they're, I don't know if they're really living the rock star lifestyle, which he probably don't want people to do. It's not too good for your health. Mm. But Homie's always had that kind of presence about him. Well, he used to at least. Didn't give a fuck. If he didn't like what you were saying, he'd tell you or physically assault you. But the last few interviews I've seen him do, he's, uh, he seems to have mellowed a little bit, I think, with age. Mm. I think he's gone through a bit of shit too over the last 10 years with his children and, and ex-wife. I remember reading some things where you know he was basically – uh, told that he couldn't go anywhere near them, but now it's it's been flipped on its head, and now he has the kids and his ex-wife, yeah. Brody Dahl, I think her name was. Um, yeah, she was the lead singer of the Distillers, who had some mm. grow back in the day as well. And yeah, that was almost a Sid and Nancy kind of thing going on there. Yeah. So <laughs> very volatile individual, but had a pretty volatile personal life too to go along with it. Yeah, no, nah, but mate, great, great. First up, first it giveth number four. My four comes from the self-titled debut album all the way back to 1998. And the song is called You Can't Quit Me, Baby. I love this song. Great choice. I love – I've realised over the last 10 years how much I love jam tracks where they just – let loose and you know there's it's just not all about verses and choruses there's got to be times where the band just gets to express themselves 
through their music. And this is one of those. And it's another dark, atmospheric track, a slow burner. And, and it's got that that real chugging bass riff as a platform through it. But in yep. the end, Homie is basically acting as a stalker in this this song. You know, lyrics like, followed you home, but you were not there, slashed and I cut and I bled in the sink. Pretty full on, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah. It's a creepy-ass song. Creeper, yeah, it goes for nearly, you know, slithers on for like seven minutes or so. But the part that really, like, I love the whole thing, but it's got this spectacular climax where I don't know, it, it, it's, it's crazy, you know, and and it, the, the, the climax almost feels self-destructive. It has this moment where it just speeds up and up and up and up, and then the last. 40 or 30 seconds is this deranged guitar that takes it out. It's funny because I read different people talking about it and and all the rest of it and I, I just read the lyrics myself and had my own take on it and obviously it's it's heavily upon the subject of obsession. In this case is I think a bloke loves or is got lusting for some sort of female she is not reciprocating you know there's even words in there saying you know heard what you said and you're laughing baby and obviously he wants it to happen but it's never going to happen then at the end they repeat over and over your solid gold see you in hell this is just my take but the music that i've mentioned earlier how it speeds up and up and up and then gets deranged at the end it feels like this is him wanting her wanting her she doesn't want a piece of him and then confronts her and then it's escalating because of this sped up music and then he kills her mm-hmm. in that final deranged part. And that's why he's saying, you know, you're solid gold, as in loves the shit out of her, but see you in hell because when I die, I'm going to I'm gonna come down and, and see you again because I've just put you out of this this earth. That's, that's my take. It's pretty dark. It's it. It is a very chaotic crescendo and ending, and it's like you could also, like you said, it's it's basically basically mimicking like a a descent into hell.
yeah, I think you've nailed that. It's such a good song. This was in my top 10 and would probably would have just outside my honourable mentions. That first album was incredible. Like, they hit the ground running. They mm. really, really did. And I, and I guess it helps that the couple of the core guys came from such established groups already, but also they've always had just great musos around that band that have played with other fantastic artists to have a track so high in your top five from a from a debut it does not surprise me one bit man both those songs i, I, I played them in the car yesterday i think full ball and i was like fuck, so good to have these songs back in my life oh yeah I, speaking of car i'm gonna name drop car tunes in the next few songs as well because okay. there are some the queens of the stone age are one of the great car bands for me i fucking I love belting out songs in the car and they oh, they are to be a top five car band. We can do that one night. <laughs> Definitely top five do car that. Bands. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Put that down. Follow that, follow that away. Roger that. I'm just <laughs> note it down here. <laughs> yeah, just write it down and done. Done. All right, mate. Well, you're number four. <laughs> number four for me comes from the Rated R album of 2000, and it is called Better Living Through Chemistry. Now, this was Love very this. close. Very, I thought you'd dig this one. Oh, now, this man. was very close to being disqualified <laughs> due to the use of bongos on the intro. I've been to way too many parties where there's wannabe fucking hippies <laughs> that have tortured the rest of the party goers in their attempts to bongo. We don't want to hear it, right? I wonder what that guitar – I wasn't the- sure if it was bongos at that, that first. It's like that pattering sound, isn't it? Oh, man. Like – I've been to so many parties with, with some absolute dick skin brings out a bongo and thinks everyone wants to hear it. Right? It's like the guy. It's like the guy that brings out the, the acoustic guitar and goes, "This is a little song. You may have heard of it. It's called Wonderwall." It's like that. It's just no one needs to hear it. So it was almost disqualified on that, but it's just too good of a song, right? So I was never going to do it, but this is too good to to omit from the top five. It's a, it's a real psychedelic jam. This one. I think it's like track. Hang on, I'm just going to do a bit of a, a cheat here and just check Spotify. Is it track three on Rated R? Track five. Track five. Sorry, yeah, righto. That album starts off like balls to the wall. You know, you got feel good hit of the summer. You got lost art of keeping a secret, which is another like banger. Leg of Lamb, Autopilot. Those Leg of Lamb and Autopilot talking about Rated R. They're kind of starting to ramp up that psychedelic style with those songs in that progression on the album mm-hmm. and i think it really maxes out the psych uh, the psych jam really maxes out on better living through chemistry it's just a song that i have always returned to it just seems to get better with age too minus the bongos <laughs> um, but yeah so better living through chemistry i absolutely love it and it was fantastic live and actually reading up on a few of their tracks and recent performances that fans have gone to apparently they haven't played this track for quite a number of years now i don't know why whether it's a a personal thing whether they feel as though because there's been so many transitions in and out of the band with different members Mm. there's rumors going around that they feel that this song is connected to a few of those former members and they feel it disrespectful if they play it live now but there was talk that hasn't been played live since about 2013 or 2012 or something that that. long it seems um, like it's made mm. for a live appearance you know like middle of the set Massive jam yeah. out, you know, ten Absolutely. minute live just, performance. Yeah, just a full sight. That's when that. That's when the acid tabs start hitting. Um, yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. 
So, yeah, I, I just love this song. I really do. Prior to my rejuggling of my top five today, drunkenly, this was closer to the top. So I'm probably going to really regret this. But, yeah, number four, Better Living Through Chemistry. Mate, absolute Bella. You have no idea how much I love that song. It's so good. So good. All right. Nice. Number three. Number three. Now, I love this song because it's groovy. It's funky, it's sexy, it's sultry. Ooh. Has that Ooh. southern southern soul vibe. Ooh. Do, do you do you any takes on what it might be? <laughs> oh, I want to make it with you. <laughs> I want to make it with you. That's it. Era Vulgaris 2007. Yeah. I just man, this is the song that's always been on my playlist since I've heard, like, well, in 2007 so it came out. So when this one rolled around and it, it was very different to the rest of their catalogue, I sort of, I think, yeah. always makes me think of, I think it's Evidence by Faith No More and yeah. how that song's very different, but it's probably my favourite Faith No More, which if we get to, to do a Faith No More episode some stage, can I, I can... Yeah, I'd love to. I would love to. Okay, man. So top five car bands, <laughs> and then we're doing Faith No More. I'll just write that down too. Jot it down. <laughs> Jot it down. <laughs> but yeah, look, make it with you. It's uh, I don't know, and another song that it, it gives me that same vibe of is Rolling, the Rolling Stones. Miss you. It's that same yep. sort of sexy, groovy beat, and it's it's just sleazy perfection. And you yeah. know, it opens with those piano chords, and then you know, it kicks straight into instrumental. But it's so chilled out. It's it's the one song in the albums that decreases your heart rate. And you know, Josh actually wrote this to express his infatuation and his lust, and but also his commitment. To making it work for, with his then girlfriend, Brody Dahl, who now they've gone through shit, and um, yeah. she's the next wife. But this was a song for him to to really sort of give it to her. You know, this is a song for you. I'm going to be with you. So he, a really cool comment that he said was, "I was a bit of a slut, to be honest. Always here today, gone <laughs> tomorrow. But when I met Brody, I was like." I'm here today and I'm coming back tomorrow. It sort of showed he was volatile, not just with his aggression, but everything in his life, I think, around that early stage. And and this was that song that he, he thought was the start of something pretty special. The other really cool thing with this, and this is going to bring us to another top five we'll need to jot down, but the initial recording of this wasn't made for Era Vulgaris in 2007. It was made for the ninth volume of Josh Homme's ongoing side Desert project, Sessions. the Desert Sessions. That's right. And yeah. and it has yeah, the background cool. vocals is PJ Harvey. And if you watch it on YouTube, I, I think I like it even more, this version. Like PJ, PJ's voice, Polly Jean, 
is ins- insane in this. And it's one, I think it's the best I've ever seen her look. She looks so good in this, this on uh, stage oh, there. Oh, uh, PJ Harvey, yeah. let's drop that down. Let's note that down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> please put that down. That's a definite. That PJ Harvey, I have uh, high on the list in the next year because she's oh, one that I absolutely love and I want to dig deeper uh, to, to really hear her full spectrum. But she's amazing. So anyway, yeah, mate, Make It With You is my number three. Always loved it. Something a bit different and, yeah, shows another side of, of Quatza. Man, very very sexy song from a very very sexy man. He well, wears a lot of sexy in. kits on stage, doesn't he? He can do. He's, he's he always looks oh, like he's done. from a like a lounge bar somewhere. He's singing. Yeah, like a like a seedy dive bar. He went through an era of wearing sweatbands on his wrists. I, I do remember that. I think the, the early two thousands when I saw them a couple of times, he was into his sweatbands. <laughs> or maybe that was just the Australian heat. Maybe it was the heat of Australia that was making him do that, but yeah, okay. yeah. no, uh, a very, very sexy man, Josh Homme. All right, number three for me comes from Like Clockwork in 2013, and it is My God is the Sun. Yes. Now, I mentioned, well, we both mentioned about belting out tunes in the car, and this is probably my go to belter from Quatza for just car belting. That sounds weird. <laughs> Belting as in singing, yeah. not Ca- in car belting top five. Else. I'll just adjust the notes. Yeah, yeah. Do you put that down? Car <laughs> belting. And I've mentioned again. I'm I'm, I'm retreading old material from, from you know 20 minutes ago. But like Clockwork was a really great example of a band still having still having their fastball is what they say in American sports later in their career. Um, they still had the juice. And this is the song that I, I showed people to prove it because you know. As what it happens a lot with a lot of bands that have very popular beginnings to their career, that apathy sets in with some fans, 
or they get stuck in a mindset or in a time zone where they go, all right, th- that was their peak, and I'm not going to worry about listening to anything else. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of a lot of friends that were huge Queens of the Stone Age fans up until probably Era Volgaris, and then didn't really revisit when Light Clockwork came about. Yeah, this is a song that I've always kind of approach them with to say look this this is worth investing in an incredible album and this one kind of rose up the top five a little bit for me this afternoon so it must i don't know the drunkenness in me must really like this a lot (laughs) so yes number three for me my god is the sun That is just a really epic chorus. It, it, just, it is. It just builds and builds. And I know you love a build, Holsh. You I love, love a good build. build. Love a build. Yeah, you love a build just as much as I love belting. So <laughs> there is, yeah, there's a bit of uh, overlap there. Mm. No, I, I remember when this got first played on the radio, I think on Triple J, and I was like, man, if this is what this album's going to contain, you know, and, and unbelievably it does. Like, this was yeah. this was really the showcase to what was an incredible LP. I heard it first on the Jays as well. So, like I said, I even I was a little bit guilty of of overlooking like Clockwork initially. Like I didn't race out and buy it like I had done the previous releases. I was always going to get it, but then I heard this on the Jays and I was like, "Fuck, mm-hmm. this is so good. This is so good." And then yeah, the rest is history. Great album, great song. Number two. This is off Rated R, and the song is called In The Fade. Now, we mentioned earlier how great Mark Lanigan is, and, you know, he he was part of that special era with with Queens of the Stone Age when they had that super group, but he was also, you know, very influential through that period with Josh and very close friends with Josh, Uh, even when he wasn't with the band prior and after because they obviously played together 
uh, with Screaming Trees as well. I think he's the secret weapon on this track. He he sings on this track. Just I was just going to say to the listeners out there, if you get a chance as well, listen to his song called "The Gravedigger's Song." It's it hasn't oh, really. Yeah. Oh, you you're spoiling my my um, much anticipated yearly countdowns coming out because that is my favourite song from that year. Oh wow! Well, that is that that song, the Gravedigger song, is probably oh man, I don't want to go over the top. <laughs> hyperbole, but it's probably like a top 10 track for me all time. It is incredible. So sweet and fades just the same To the stars, my love To the sea To the wheels, my love Till they roll all over I don't think many people even know about the Grave Diggers song. And sorry to <laughs> maybe put a spoiler in one of your, your future uh, episodes for your new show. But um, I'm sure everyone everyone listens and, and hangs on our every word, Hulsh. So they'll remember this moment. <laughs> <laughs> but man, I just I just wanted to give it a, a plug because it is it is a yeah. song that's gone by the wayside and, and I I would say ninety nine point nine percent of the population have never heard it. You listen to Mark Lanigan's voice in that song and you get a real appreciation for him. He's a, he's a real forbidding presence, you know. He he's not Tom Waits, but he's still got that gra- oh. gravelly, earthy, I don't know, smoky sort of voice but you know Tom Waits is another atmosphere with what yeah. he does but you know he he he's definitely got that that difference that makes this song quite special especially through some of the verses but this song is a mixture of, of rock and roll psychedelia and a bit of almost experimental pop in there you know all wrapped up into this this 4 minutes and you know space guitar sort of sound through it this song is actually an anti-suicide plea. Lanigan delivers his lines, you know, ain't gonna worry, just live till you die. Want to drown with nowhere to fall into the arms of someone. There's nothing to save that I know. You live till you die. It's, it's, it's almost a, like a, I don't know, a bittersweet beauty to it. I forget, I think there was someone they knew that, was going through a lot of issues and, and they were sort of trying to explain to him, look, it doesn't matter how shit things get or it might have been to do with a breakup or something along those lines, but what's the point in taking your life? Like, just see it through. Yeah. You just don't know what fuck's going to happen.
that is a great choice. Again, that was probably just missing out for me for no other reason other than there's just got so many great songs. Like exactly. It's be easily in my top ten. And Lanigan is just he, he was just a force, man. Gone too soon. Mm, Fifty seven. Um, yeah. And they never yeah. ever stated what it was. Why? How he passed? No, they. I know that he struggled with addiction for quite a few years, both substance and alcohol, but. Yeah, no, very, very sad. And one of my favourite artists, man, and, and like the Gravedigger song is obviously just a, a, one of the greatest songs I've ever heard. And a lot of his catalogue is sadly underrated. But anyway, we, ma, jot it down, top five Mark Lanigan. <laughs> it's, yep, just put it here. Okay, just put that there. <laughs> Wait, all right. All right, mate. Your number two. Your number two. My number comes from the 2005 album Lullabies to Paralyze. Mm-hmm. And it's called In My Head. I've gone for another rolling, rollicking jam, another car jam, if you will. And it's another, just a great example of the power of Quatza Deliver epic rock without ever feeling generic. It discusses things like that are in your head, fighting demons, making your way through really shitty times. And it's just crawled its way up the charts for me over years as well. So whenever I'm feeling the need for a bit of Queensland Stone Age, it's, it's, it, that album and, and in my head is always high on the rotation. And it's just got an ability to get into my head, like the song clearly suggests. That was a really dark album too, Lullabies to Paralyze. There's a lot of tracks on that were, that were near misses for my top 10 as well. I, I kind of gravitate towards that darkness as well. I think I've mentioned that on the Beach House episode where I feel a bit of, I don't know how to describe it, but comfort, I guess, from listening listening to dark and melancholic music. Mm. And that and and this is a, a prime example of one of those songs. So it kind of combines that with like a, a rolling, rollicking rock track as well. It doesn't seem too steeped in depression to not have a good time at the same time. It's incredible how Queens of the Stone Age can do that though. Like dark yeah. as fuck songs, but it's still got those melodies and these these other – I wouldn't say they're unique, but I think they their sound is – Incredible. Like, I think they do it better than, than anyone in that style. Absolutely agree. We are at the pointy end. Number one. Here we go. Number one. We also did say right at the beginning that there's a chance we might get a crossover in this list. Yeah. That crossover is about to happen. <laughs> My number one, I think, was your number four. And it, it is better living through chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah Man, Awesome You have no idea How many times I've played this And it hasn't budged From number one Since Three or four weeks ago When I, I started Listening to the albums This Song just grabbed me By the nuts And it's still squeezing them It's It's awesome uh, it, it sounds so heavy But it's It's almost airy At the same time Yeah It's You yep. know It's a real echoey Sort of track That Kicks, you know, rolls on and goes up and down, up and down. And Nick Oliveri's bass is just, I know, it just thunders through this. I love it so much. You know, I think this is his his signature baseline for them. I know there's been a lot of big tracks and they're more commercial tracks had a, like a rolling Oliveri baseline as well, like No One Knows and all those other tracks. But mm. I think this is his A grade material on oh, this track. Mate, it's, I don't know, it's just so epic. It's, 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 there's parts of it that are just like so intense and then other parts are so wandering and, and melancholy. Like it just, it, it moves, it's, it's almost hypnotic when you, yeah. you listen to it. Like, oh, cause I'll put it on repeat and it just sort of roll through because 
you know, it goes up and down so much that it almost joins in sequence to, to restart. Well, re-loop. Yeah, re-loops on itself almost. It does. It does, yeah, mm. because the very end of it, just before the actual climax, it goes back to the beginning section, and but in between, a lot happens. But this is one of those songs where you know less is more. A typical song, you know, jammed with lyrics and and all the rest. But this one, the music really does drive the story of the song. It starts off with my favourite instrument, the bongos. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine too. Mine too. That's, I, that's crazy. I bring them out at every party I go to. And oh, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> um, I guess it's my time now to announce it's been my last. <laughs> oh, but, yeah, it's like, you know, it's got that bass line, but then, like, the squealing guitars by Josh Homer, you're like, it sort of almost wrestles away the bass and takes the, the the center stage at a moment there and before it sort of goes away and it's got those those big hum like that goes for ages with more guitar going through it and and then it's got yeah. that really awesome like final wig out at the end it's oh, man I just love it my favorite moment was at two minutes 14 where it, it's got those, it drones out completely but then just busts in with this like kick-ass guitar riff by by Josh homie so but yeah real so segmental track that point oh so yeah loud. That, that, that drone part you speak of it, it is so loud at that point for a song that's been like you said airy and kind of not meandering but just blissful and psychedelic and that switch up is jarring. Mm, it so is. It is in a good needed. way. Like it just, it just improves the song a million, mm. a million percent. I seem to vaguely recall them playing this track at the big day out. The keyboardist was playing a Korg that is pretty much renowned in psychedelic rock. What's and Korg? I just remember the sound. I believe it's like a a brand um, oh. that was used in all. But it was a, a keyboard. I might be completely fucking this up but i think it was a keyboard that was used a lot in 60s and 70s psychedelic psychedelic rock acts as well okay it's got kind of a a signature type of sound to it i'm sure there's a model that i'm i'm missing or whatever but i've just yeah i've seen a lot of acts use that over the years but it's just this song is just an incredible song and if it wasn't for the bongos it would probably be number one for me as well
excellent, mate. That's a great choice for number one. Thank you great very choice. much. I'm really happy with it. <laughs> yeah, you should. But be. here we go. Here we go. I love that I never know what your number one is compared to every other episode I do. So hit me with it. Oh, you've stolen a bit of my thunder with your number two because uh, my absolute uh, one of my absolute idols, Mark Lanigan, sings this track. Josh takes the back seat, and it's from Songs for the Deaf in 2002. It is called Songs for the Dead. Look, the drumming on this intro to this song is seriously fuck off. It is that good. Dave Grohl was in his bag on this one. Dave Grohl has been on record as saying that some of the most fun times, both touring and recording tracks in his entire career, came around this time with Queens of the Stone Age. He had a lot of fun. You could hear it in his drumming where he's putting in a lot of extra fills and it's even better on live performances. There's a few live performances getting around of this track and of this album. Dave's just killing it and having a lot of fun. Like I said, Josh took a backseat on the vocals here and, and Mark Lanningan just took it. He's, man, just gone too soon. It's just an incredible vocalist and songwriter. And obviously, what I was going to touch on, and you've already said it, is that I've always seen or heard, I guess, Mark Lanningan as a, a variation or a slight variation on Tom Waits. There you go. Less gravelly than Tom Waits, and that was in my notes. I just love this song because you know what it kind of reminds me of? It's, it's again, one of their rolling, rollicking kind of tracks, but it has a little touch of Better Living Through Chemistry in it mm. in that it kind of meanders for a little bit and then it has a big breakdown and then kind of comes back to fading away a little bit towards the end. Mark Lanigan's vocals make it. His voice is so lived in. You can mm. tell he's been through some shit. Mm. Just by hearing his voice, this dude has seen some shit, done some shit, and there's a sincerity to someone like that through their vocals. His voice just complements the escalation in the track, and seeing this live was just goose bump inducing just an all-timer of a song from an all-timer band for me and i couldn't go past this one for number one it had been in and out of the top three quite a few times in the process of making this five but yeah i settled on this i, I wanted i wanted to really showcase mark lanningan just in case you didn't and you did i should have i, I, <laughs> I think that's incredible though that we both and had the same thoughts on him. I, I didn't realise that you were so inspired by him as well. That just really locks your spot in this this show for the next five years. Yeah. Thank God for that. <laughs> no. I, I, and I take back all the bongo slander. I'm sorry. I know you love it. <laughs> I take it all back. Uh, but, yeah, Songs for the Dead. So just incredible song. And, yeah, uh, rest in peace, Mark Lanigan.
that's an immense track. I it was in my short list. It probably just missed my top ten. Yeah, it's a belter. I'm really impressed with that selection. Actually, now I'll go. You watch every time you give me a number one, I go back listen to it again, and I'm like, it should have been in my five. That song, I Wish Wish by Beach House, <laughs> Wish Beach House. Yeah, I have. Yep. I can't stop listening to that song. So if anyone has not listened to the Beach House episode, Chippy knows Beach House intimately and you've got to go back and listen to it. It's a band you've got to, a must hear, a must hear. But we will wrap it up there. But to everyone out there, thank you so much. We've had a, a, a couple of weeks off from episodes because of the New Year Christmas break and I got COVID and and shit just couldn't get done but we have had messages of support asking when the next episodes are coming in and people want to have plenty of episodes for 2024 so the team are all on the ball and we've got plenty of episodes coming up some great artists so make sure you subscribe to the channel and also join the facebook group holsh fidelity and we'll get to you real soon but other than that thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed the playlist